early days of the American frontier, people relied on steam engines to transport them through wild landscapes to spectacular new places. In this current era, we have something that allows for an even greater adventure, the search engine. So make sure you grab your ticket, because we're going on a first-class ride across the web. We interrupt this broadcast to let you guys know that the logo contest is still going on. We've got a couple of wonderful submissions here, but I think we're going to be opening on up for about another month or so here. So if you guys are working away at a new logo, send it in at what's going on the pod at gmail.com. One more time, what's going on the pod at gmail.com. Don't forget if it's good, I might get it tatted on me. Learning about glass was pretty metal. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, oh but that was a pretty God. metal topic. Dude. Oh, speaking of metal. Oh, um, man. Aluminum. That's another thing you can recycle. There it is. It's a, it's a metal, if you didn't know that. Thank you. And it's pretty nuts, actually, how they get it. It actually is from... So aluminum's found in this one type of rock. It's a sedimentary rock. And has like a super high concentration of aluminum. And so they have to basically mine a bunch of land, you know, excavate it. And people go through all this rock. It's called bauxite. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> Could be wrong. Bauxite. How would you guys say that? B-A-U-X-I-T-E. Bauxite. I think that's like, how I've heard it really... said before. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll take your word for it. I like how JJ said it, though. There I it think is. that's a better way. Heavy emphasis on the balk. <laughs> But yeah, it requires a lot of energy and you have to pretty much bulldoze and excavate, you know, a whole area of land. So you're, you know, killing a bunch of plants, you know, maybe polluting water, you know, if you're getting close to an aquifer. So it can cause a lot of issues. The cool part about it is that kind of like glass, once you have aluminum, so if it's like a, a food can or, you know, a soda or a beer, you can actually recycle that indefinitely, which is super cool because... A lot of places will even pay you for metal. Mm-hmm. That's kind of one of the can. few ones where you can find them. Yeah, exactly. So that's like one good part about it is that, you know, it takes a lot to create. It takes a lot of, yeah, just chemicals to actually break down the metal into, you know, something you can actually use to make products. But once you have it, it can be made into a lot. And so, the, the recycling process for aluminum is actually pretty efficient as well. Uh, compared to that long process that Nathan just described there, you save 95% of the energy by recycling it instead of making or getting the raw material. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. I am Which is probably awesome. jumping the gun here, but I'm just thinking about aluminum cans. And I've heard that you're not actually supposed to squish the aluminum can because that causes issues with recycling. Do you know if that's true or not in your research? I did not come across that, but I feel like I have heard that before. Yeah, I just don't know if that's true or not. We're trying to debunk right here. Yeah, because I could see how, you know, it might be hard to get out some of the, like if there's some liquid remaining. I'm yeah, I guess I wasn't sure. even thinking let about me, contaminants, honestly. So according to Rubicon, Ooh. crushing cans isn't as beneficial as you might think. Oh, maybe so if it's you're, right. It sounds like if your recycling is tossed into one bin, so if you have just, you know, one recycling container and you put all your paper and glass and aluminum in there, you should actually keep your cans intact. It's really okay. good to know because I've, yeah, I've definitely heard that too. Just maybe it's just because of space. Like I thought, oh, well, you can fit more in there, so you should crush them. Okay. Yeah, I guess it can, it can actually ruin the sorting process. So like, you know, if yeah. you're sorting on a belt, you know, you see a can, it's like, oh, that's an aluminum can. But if it's crushed down, it might be, think it's like a thick piece of cardboard or whatever. A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. So you can't squish. No squish. Myth busted. Is it, is, is it ever good to squish though? Is there ever a use for it? You know, I'm not sure. Let me see. It seems like if you actually separate the recycling, like if your community does a multi-stream recycling program, then that would be okay because there's less sorting that actually has to be done. But when you mix it with yeah. the paper and cardboard, that's where I think the problem comes into. Yeah, the single stream. Okay, yeah, I just saw the exact same response as well, actually. Okay, so I guess it really... Once again, it comes down to your <laughs> specific town's recycling plant. Look into it. Yeah, You might be able to squish, and squishing can be fun. Well, single stream recycling oh, is the fun. most common in the U.S., so... 
Yeah. On so default, maybe, don't it, squish Maybe them. you're spoiled, though. Yeah, but one thing that's that's cool is I know I've seen a lot about, you know, just how, like, you know, how valuable aluminum is that's recycled. So I guess I saw a stat that said that Americans throw away more than $700 million worth of aluminum cans every year. Wow. And apparently the aluminum industry spends more than $800 million every year on recycled cans. So they're paying a lot of money for it because it's such an expensive thing to actually mine and make that, you know, you can make money off of it. I mean, it's not necessarily a lot, but you can also help a company that recycles make money by, you know, recycling your cans and your other aluminum items. And that includes a lot of different things. So you can obviously recycle like beverage cans, like soda or beer cans. Some places will accept aluminum foil. It's, it kind of comes down to what your specific place does too. Um, but also a lot of aluminum baking trays and pie pans places will take as well. At least, you know, specific places that take aluminum. But you're going to have to look into it for specifics. But some places will take that. And then you can save that unless you want to donate it like a pie pan. But you could also recycle it in some places. I've always thought about that. Like keeping... Donating pie pans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've literally always thought about that. Every no, morning. but just... <laughs> when i wake up first thought no just like if it'd be worth it to actually like collect cans like i wonder how many i mean it's like on average about five cents a can that's only where they have the like, can like buyback program i don't think you get yeah, and there's five only, i mean on each can in most states per can i don't think you get that yeah i think it's states. literally just listed on the can yeah so yeah i don't know because i think a majority of them like the example I can think of is it just says high me five cents, which I'm guessing is what Hawaii or what is high? Yeah. Is that yeah Hawaii Ho- and Maine? Why Hawaii though? Like <laughs> I understand like if you're out there, it, may, it would be nice to like recycle right away. Yeah, I guess it would just be for that purpose. Well, I'm pretty yeah, sure Hawaii the states that do that have a tax on their their purchases of cans and that's basically your way to get it back if you go actually send those back to a recycler and recycle yeah, yeah really that's how it is that'd be a good idea i know Maybe we should all do like that. i've i've bought you know beer in michigan before and that's kind of how they do it is yeah it's that same thing where you know say you buy like a 12 pack you have to pay i don't know it's like five or ten cents a can so then you pay Whatever that is, and then you they actually have places you can take the cans back and get your money back. <laughs> and so it's funny because it makes you feel like you're getting money. You're like, oh, I just deposited 100 cans, even though you, you did pay for them, too. So you're just getting your money back. But yeah, some places, some states will do that. I know Michigan and, like you said, Hawaii and some other places, which is definitely a good incentive to recycle aluminum, for sure, because it adds up over time. All right. So I know this is going really far back to plastics, of course. <laughs> going back to the beginning before we continue on aluminum i remembered a story of an individual who was from sock city that changed the recycling history and her name is millie zantow and when she was living in sock city wisconsin so right next to where all three of us grew up i believe she was the one that invented the global recycling system for plastics about 40 years ago so that little number that we just spent so long talking about that's inside of the triangle on the plastic, I'm pretty sure it was her idea to do that. Uh, I'm seeing that that's that started cool. in 1988 by the Society of Plastics Institute. Are you sure about that? Uh, I mean, 40 years ago would be uh, about then. More like 1981. Yeah, a little like earlier than that. I mean, it maybe it got revolutionized but i'm pretty sure i'm looking at like a lot of articles right now specifically talking about how she was the one who created that was she part of that like company or i'm not sure so she, you're saying she created the resin created identification the, code the symbols yeah like the resin plastic resin identification yeah or um because okay. is that that's the number that's inside the little triangle on plastic yep. correct yeah yeah it says that she was the one that developed that system of numbers that you see inside the little triangle. Hmm. Sock City. Culver's? Plastic Culver's, identification dude. number? There All it is. All the good things in the world. We should have grown up in Sock. Yeah. They're doing much better than us. That was something that just like, it I it popped in my mind. I don't know what 
I don't remember what um, <clears throat> podcast I was listening to. I was talking about this. I think it was What's Going On. <laughs> oh, wow. I had a dream about the future of me talking about it. <laughs> I'm going to do an L episode about Millie, well, whatever her last name was. Zantau. Millie Zantau. Future episode. It's coming up. We could do a future episode. We've talked about doing it on important people. Who's going on? <laughs> Who's going on? What are they up to? Where are, are they? they? <laughs> <laughs> Where are they right at this moment? I Working found out. the trail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is Yeah, so I, I finally found it. Uh, her recycling methods, uh, she created the easy recycling center near Reedsburg, and her recycling methods were adopted by the EPA, and the numbering system that she subsequently developed became the worldwide industry standard when the Society of the Plastics Industry adopted it in 1988. Wow, that's really so cool. So she was the OG, and then and then they were like, wow, this is genius, and then copied her. So right from our own little neck of the woods, shout out Millie. Oh, Millie, oh, Millie. Oh. <laughs> shout out Tonchi. Is she still alive, or did she pass away? Uh, sadly, she passed away in 2014. Oh, man. But she lived a long life. She was born yeah. in 1923. Well, she did an awesome thing, so that's yeah. super cool. Thank you, Millie. We, we you, salute Millie. you here at What's Going On. Shout out, Millie. But back to aluminum. Back to aluminum? Back to the lum. Yeah, so like Patrick said before, you know, aluminum saves about 95% of the energy if you recycle it instead of buying new aluminum, which is a lot because... Aluminum itself, you know, the pr whole process of mining it and manufacturing just a single 12 ounce can takes even more. It takes almost twice as much energy as a glass bottle. So wow. glass is like, you know, fairly efficient to recycle, but it actually takes, you know, more energy to make initially yeah. than a glass okay. bottle just with the wow. whole process of mining it, um, smelting, which is essentially like melting down the metal kind of like paper too, like JJ was talking about, you have to add it to a solution that kind of, you know, dissolves, you know, different probably rock bits and different things. And then yeah. you have to filter it, heat it again. And then you put it through electrolysis, which essentially like, I think brings all the aluminum to like one area where it kind of separates it. And then you can extract it, clean it and make it into something, which is, so it's super complicated process, but and yeah, like I said, it takes a ton of land and we actually, the U.S. does not make any of the aluminum or mine any of the bauxite that has the aluminum in it in the U.S. So we oh, import really? it from all, yeah, we import it from all their countries. So some that I found that we import it from are Australia, Jamaica, and Papua New Guinea. And I think there's some other ones too, but okay. it's definitely like a pretty, you know, pretty bad process that can produce a lot of, you know, toxic waste and a lot of carbon emissions and takes a lot of water and just electricity and energy and we import it all. So if you recycle it and you use products that, you know, that maybe say they have recycled metals, that's definitely something you can do to help. So we don't have to import as much of that. And it's crazy the amount of things that have aluminum in them. You guys yeah, maybe have heard of some of these, but did you know that laundry detergent has aluminum in it? really wow Some laundry detergents yeah and another one that's kind of crazy is aspirin how much um, aluminum is in there just like the most microscopic <laughs> quantities and what does it do in there like i want to know what aluminum does in aspirin that yeah. bothers me <laughs> isn't it also in i'm gonna take an aspirin and find out yeah, yeah a lot of deodorants are in deodorants yeah a lot of them, that's why a lot of them will say, say aluminum free. free. It's like, because yeah. it's like, oh, all these other, alum all these other deodorants have aluminum in them. So a lot of them will advertise that they don't. And I'm not sure exactly what it does, but it's a heavy metal. So I think you're probably not supposed to ingest a lot of it or put it on your body. It's probably not the best for you. Um, toothpaste will have it too sometimes, which is crazy. And then obviously the normal stuff like, you know, soda cans, cars obviously have a lot of metal in them, aluminum, spark plugs, that kind of stuff. So it's in a lot, you know, from things you use at home to the thing you drive, which is kind of nuts to think about. And yeah, that's kind of aluminum in a nutshell. 
Um, the recycling rate, I guess one more thing is pretty similar to glass. We recycle about 35% of it in the U S which is pretty good. But if you can get that number even higher, like that's, you know, you're saving, saving a lot of energy. Definitely. So continuing off of why aluminum is in certain things, it actually is not in deodorant, but it is in antiperspirants. And uh, the reason why aluminum is inside of antiperspirants, which it, or the reason what it does or what it does in there, goodness, is when exposed to heat or sweat, it creates a gel-like substance that plugs up sweat ducts, and so that is how it temporarily blocks the ability to sweat or produce, you know, the stank that comes from like working out and things like that, or just natural sweating. But what are the effects of that long term? <laughs> that we don't really know about um, sweating one of the most basic things we do if something yeah. blocks that it can't be good good for it no by any means i don't know how bad it is but it can't be good <laughs> yeah not good that's really and interesting then, though i never knew what it did yeah i know Either did I. I knew that it like stopped sweating but i didn't understand how or why but now i found out that it's uh aluminum that's what's going on hmm. some other negative side effects you may feel immediately from using antiperspirants is you may feel hotter because it's not able to sweat. It can't cool off and evaporate. So your armpit will actually get warmer, which will probably want it to produce more sweat. Uh, so I don't know what happens right there. So you might overheat it's relatively rapidly. It's just an infinite loop. You just keep getting hotter and hotter. <laughs> My armpit! You just vigorously rubbing, you know, deodorant, antiperspirant on your armpits you're keeping all day. it in there. It's like I'm a superpower. So it gets to Why the point where sweating? it's so plugged so in, you're able to, like, shoot it out like bullets, dude. Like, out of your pores. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just Hell burst yeah. in the meeting, just rips through your shirt. <laughs> Little shotgun effects. Uh, underarm what the, irritation. What the deodorant, deodorant industry doesn't want you to know. There it is. That'd be a nice title for that article. There, that yeah, for our next blog. Yeah, our next clickbait video about aluminum. <laughs> and then uh, aluminum often stains as well. So I think that that yellow tint that you see from a lot of antiperspirants inside of like yellow shirts is uh, is that aluminum coming in into effect. So don't do it. What's a? I feel like JJ. I feel like you and I have talked about this in the past, but you used to kind of make some of your own products like deodorant yeah and so maybe some soap and yeah did you did you find anything that works as like a natural alternative to antiperspirants that can help maybe at least make sweat not as unbearable or as you know smelly um well like so i've only honestly it was many years ago and i haven't really tried since the first couple of batches but the like soap and deodorant that I made were relatively the exact same ingredients. It was like some sort of like beeswax, uh, shea butter, like coconut oil, and I think like another oil and something else. But like the way that it turned out is that it was just so greasy and oily that it like I I don't understand how the recipe called for it because it was kind of like the same thing except not aluminum, but it would just like stain literally everything that you wore. So if you had anything like lighter, it would just stain it. Like sweating wise, it wasn't too bad. I don't know. I'm just constantly hot and I kind of sweat naturally a decent amount. So like there's nothing really that stops me from sweating too much. But no, yeah, in I my research, I, thought, I haven't really found anything. I thought, you know, if you made your own, you could maybe put some kind of essential oil in it maybe or something else kind of like that that could yeah. maybe make the sweat not smell as bad or yeah i was gonna i mean oh like that's what i'm saying like sweat happened but i, I didn't stink yeah. by any means like yeah, I definitely yeah. just smelled like the essential oils that i used for sure you can definitely use like essential oils inside of like anything like natural as well like you're going to sweat no matter what especially if you like work out consistently if you're you know what if you, maybe your job is just a little bit more like manual labor like you're going to sweat mm -hmm. so i mean trying to mask it up with some like sort of essential oil or something is definitely fairly easy honestly but i mean if you're going to sweat anyways like who cares if you stink a little bit you're good yeah unless you're like presenting a new product to like pepsico or something you'll probably be all right <laughs> probably be not too bad <laughs> you'll be even better if you stink <laughs> yeah that's something that's something i've thought about just more like those kinds of products like 
deodorant it's more all natural soaps yeah because that's like a weird that's a weird world in itself just kind of figuring out what's good to use and what's not yeah um i don't know if you guys just, have ever heard of bar soap like sh- or bar shampoo sorry i've heard of bar shampoo okay yeah i i mean i kind of found out about it recently but mm-hmm. it's pretty cool because it actually like you get it and you're like oh this is like not a lot of shampoo for the amount of money it is but it works it like lasts forever you know it lasts a super long time just like a normal bottle would which is kind of cool because less plastic then exactly i think the biggest thing that like kind of bothers me with all of ingredients it's just the ingredients and items like that i feel like there's just so many things that are inside of i don't know a bunch of like soap or toothpaste or deodorant where i look at it and i'm like i don't know what any of this (laughs) is and like i'm just so comfortable like rubbing it over every part of my body and inside my mouth (laughs) i don't know I, I feel like the fewer the ingredients, the better I feel about using that product as well. That's just me personally. Mm-hmm. So one one brand I've actually really enjoyed is uh, a Tom's. Tom's has got like mm-hmm. some nice natural deodorant uh, and, and toothpaste that I've been really enjoying here for quite a while. Yeah, I've gotten another cool thing about their toothpaste is I think, at least the one I got recently, I oh, think it's, it's recyclable. Like number five. Yeah, it's recyclable. So if yeah, I place I recycles the... <laughs> number fives, pop off that cap and... Holy snap! I totally Chuck forgot about bin. that. Yeah, I got a I got a double tube of it as well. It's like one of the first uh, toothpaste containers that's actually recyclable. So if you're looking to help out the planet, go take a look at Tom's right there. There you go. This toothpaste is something that we use a hell of a lot of. So definitely trying to help out the environment right there. And definitely use it. Yeah, use that toothpaste. Yeah. It's it's good for the teeth. I promise. <laughs> I'm no dentist, but I know. <laughs> Well, hell yeah. Is there any other recyclable materials that we wanted to talk about? We got, uh, I mean, one I can think about. Yeah, go I, ahead, Pat. I don't have as smooth of a transition as our main host, Nathan, over there, but <laughs> uh, I I have uh, some things on electronic waste, which is pretty difficult to recycle in general. I guess the main thing to think about with electronics is to Try to find another use or home for it first before trying to recycle it, whether that's selling it to another person through eBay or Facebook Marketplace uh, or some of the companies that have come up that will buy your used products like Gazelle. They'll buy your used phones. And now there are actually ATMs where you can just drop off your phone and they'll give you money. Have you ever seen those? Hmm. Yeah. The- those are so weird. I yeah, where really have you wonder seen them before? who uses those. I've never seen anyone use one. I don't know. I've seen some in like honestly, I feel like I've seen some in like malls and like in front of like a Walmart yeah. as well. Where it's just like, here, like drop off your phone, get like twenty five dollars. <laughs> and you're like, is that really all this is worth? Like <laughs> Yeah. But it, it is a good way That's kinda cool. to, to actually use those because often they'll get refurbished and then sold somewhere else and continue to actually be used. And if they can't, they'll be used for mm-hmm. parts to fix up other phones or whatever product you're selling them. So that's a good way to actually try to prevent some of these items to go into any sort of waste stream. Uh, another interesting thing that I didn't know about is a number of companies actually have trade-in programs. So when you are upgrading to your newer device, they'll actually take your older device and find a way to recycle, refurbish, or resell your product and uh amazon does that through amazon trade-in store which i was not aware of and they take a Mm. bunch of stuff like kindles tablets uh speakers headphones video doorbells cell phones and more and then apple also has a trade-in program which i was not aware of uh so when you're buying your new apple phone you could at least have your old phone going somewhere that's slightly useful although try not to upgrade too much because you you are buying more new products <laughs> but you're recycling so much you just keep my buying part. and recycling and buying and recycling i think most phone companies good to know, also though. do that as well mm. that's really good to know best buy is also but another a big one that will recycle a number of electronics mm. there it is mm. Very and cool. then there's donating them obviously to any sort of thrift store or there are a number of nonprofits that help get electronics to people who use them, such as 
Computers with Causes that Give Laptops to People in Need, World Computer Exchange, and The Secure Call, which gives old phones to people for 911 emergency calling. Pretty cool. That's awesome. But then the actual recycling is a pretty crazy process. Uh, due to the, I guess, slightly dangerous nature of them, they have to start by being manually sorted and separated. And they basically take out any systems that have lithium-ion batteries or toner cartridges, fluorescent lights, or cathode ray tubes. And a number of those are just because of the fire hazard that they cause, uh, which is very common with the lithium-ion batteries. I don't know if anyone remembers the the Samsung Galaxy Note 7 they used to love to blow up. But... <laughs> what? Yeah. I, don't... I don't remember that? <laughs> yeah. No, no, absolutely not. I've never heard of that. Oh, life. there was a, yeah, one of the Samsung phones had a problem with its battery just because of how it was designed that they'd actually sometimes overheat when charging and then explode. And it happened like oh, once man. on an airplane wow. and happened some other times. Oh, gosh. Wow. On an airplane, <laughs> <Yeah>. dude. Uh, <laughs> woo! <laughs> I feel horrible for that person. They're just minding their own business. And then all and of a sudden, it's like freaking out. And they're. I feel probably- even worse. Oh. Like. For the person sleeping like two rows in front of them. Imagine like you're like that's what you wake up to. You're like, holy shit, we're going down, we're gonna die. Uh, yeah. As if there isn't like enough paranoia about something happening in a flight and then a you small actually explosion. hear like an explosion and you're like, Oh no, it's happening. Like it doesn't this happen, but it it's oh happening to me. <laughs> Wild. This out ends with a Samsung. All right. All right. So basically <laughs> recycling plants try to avoid that. And in general, if you do have a device that does have a lithium ion battery, it is very important that you actually do go out and get that to a proper recycling place. Uh, I see. I I saw that there was a news article of a uh, waste management place in the county that I used to live in back in Wisconsin, where one of those blew up in a trash compactor because someone threw out uh, wow. something with a lithium ion battery and started a fire. So. Definitely don't just be uh, nonchalant with where you're throwing old electronics. But once it makes it past that initial stage, they basically send it into a giant shredder, which destroys any electronics and makes them into tiny little bite-sized pieces, basically. And from there, they can be sorted into their different parts. Uh, They go through a couple of different magnetic devices to take out any steel and iron and then also any other metals such as aluminum copper or brass and then from there what's left would be separated by water and that basically separates out the plastic and glass and so once all of those different materials are separated out then it's just like any other normal recycling and those materials can be sent to wherever they need to be sent to to be used in the future again. Have you ever recycled something through one of those programs instead of just like donating it or, you know, giving it away? I don't think I have yet. I have a box of old electronic junk that I should get rid of, but I just, I think I've kept all of my old electronics. Yeah. Now that you say that I I can specifically think of like three or four broken iPhones that I literally have inside of the closet that I'm currently in. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Hey, better than in the trash. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to hold on to it until I (laughs) and somebody else will recycle it for me. (laughs) I'm going to keep them in these closet forever. Same with me. Never leaving. (laughs) Can't make me if you tried. I can't create waste if I don't leave. (laughs) (laughs) If I never throw anything away, I'll never make waste. (laughs) Oh, God. I wonder if that's how hoarders start. Don't do that. That's not good advice. (laughs) I hoard so I don't hurt the environment. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, that'd be like like a shining example to all all of the zero waste people out there. Might not be there great. Their family might not love it, but you know, <laughs> we're helping the planet. No, guys. Don't hoard. No hoarding, please. <laughs> no hoarding, please. We don't want that. So there's one other, I guess, material that we haven't talked about that you can, in a sense, recycle. Oh God! Now I'm trying to think of it. Yeah, think about what that might be. It actually makes up most of our land fill. Oh man. Yeah. Food waste? Is that what it is? What? That is correct. Oh, food. Yep. 
Boom. So either either food that's wasted or just, you know, scraps from food, like, you know, an apple core or, you know, bones from meat, whatever it is. Any kind of, you know, organic food waste makes up more of our landfill than plastic, than metal, than anything. Wow. That's very surprising and saddening. A lot of blue whales. A lot of blue whales. A lot of blue whales. <laughs> and it's kind of crazy because when you think about it, food is almost like the easiest thing to if you want to call it recycling it's composting but if you want to call it you know giving it a new life recycling that food make that compost do you have Mm -hmm. a a compost bin yeah yeah we you know so we moved to utah recently and Mm -hmm. we were composting before that and so we're kind of looking into what we could do some communities have a composting program but it's not super common i think just a if anything just some major cities do but we, yeah, we were looking into like local farms and we just literally called up a local farm and asked them if we could bring our compost there and they have compost piles and like, yeah, sure. Bring it over. So we just wow. fill up a bucket, just like a simple bucket we got from a thrift store and, you know, take it out weekly. Yeah, Super easy. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, it requires a little bit of work, but if you have, we don't have a yard. So if you have a backyard or a garden in your community, like some neighborhoods or communities have gardens a lot of them will have composting piles and you can just bring your compost there. Sweet. So it saves you trash and, you know, and those like all that food is like super useful to making soil and growing new food. So it's pretty easy and pretty cool. And it's something you can do, which is kind of neat. Like not many of us are going to go through our recycling process, our own recycling process for like metal or glass, you know, <laughs> that you can repurpose it, but you can't really like break it down into new metals, but food you can, make soil and make a garden out of it or just at least prevent it from going to the landfill, which is awesome. So what do you yeah, need awesome. to do to actually start a compost pile? Because I know that if it goes to a landfill, it doesn't really degrade as well as if it's in a compost pile. What's the, the difference between it being in a landfill and compost pile? I would say the main difference is just a landfill has so many other things that you're not really getting a lot of the interaction between like the food waste and say soil or different insects that actually break it down and bacteria. Mm, Okay. So literally it's, I mean, there's a lot of like, you can get really into the, into the dirt with composting, but you want to geek out about (laughs) it. (laughs) Whoa. Didn't see that one coming. Did you? I didn't either. I saw it coming. Oh, you saw it. All right. Dang. I'll try. I'll Ah. do better next time. But you, yeah, you can, I mean, you can look into it like pretty in depth. Like some people are super into composting and figuring out like exactly like the best ways to compost. Like you can compost with worms versus like fungi versus just, I mean, the simplest way to do it. And like the way I've usually done is just, you just make a pile <laughs> and you can add different stuff to it. Like there's good, there's good recommendations about adding, you know, like different yard clippings or straw or different like cardboard or like newspaper, different paper products mm-hmm. you can add to it that help kind of give it the better ratio and help it break down faster. But honestly, it really only needs time, um, water. So either like from rain or just, you know, from a ho- like, like a quick hose every once in a while. And then, yeah, it just needs like insects and bacteria to break it down. So super, yeah, super passive. Like you don't really need to do too much with it if you don't want to. And it works out just fine. I I believe I've had this conversation with my sister who she's really into composting as well. And I'm on a composting site right now. So to confirm what she was talking about, uh, they, they say you need three main ingredients to, to start a good compost. Talking about browns, greens, and water. Uh, so the browns would be like what Nathan was talking about, like dead leaves and branches or twigs that you could just get inside your backyard. Greens would be like some grass clippings and then mainly like vegetable waste or fruit scraps, coffee grounds, and then water to be able to just get your compost pile started off right so it has all the necessary nutrients to be able to break down the matter. And then it actually has a list of things you potentially don't want to throw in there, such as like bread, rice, meat, and milk products because they could be potentially compostable, but they're particularly tempting for unwanted pests and encourage harmful bacteria growth. So that's mm-hmm. a, a potential big no-no. Obviously, what's another? Cooking... What's another one? Yeah, I was gonna say what. What else did they say? You shouldn't throw in cooking oil, like the uh, like what I was just talking about. It can attract pests and can also upset the moisture balance inside of your compost. So that's another thing we should talk about. Is the best way for cooking oil that like when you're done, what are you supposed to do with it? I know you're supposed to just like pour it into. What I've been told is pour it into some sort of like 
container and then just throw it away. Is that what you're supposed to do? Or is there something better you can do with oil or like meat grease when you're done like cooking? I mean, yeah, I think I've kind of heard what you just said too, at least in the context of like when it's super hot, like if you have like hot meat yeah. grease or hot oil, like you shouldn't pour it down the drain yeah. while it's hot. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure about when it's cooled off, like if you can pour it down the drain or not. I'm actually, I think usually just throw it away or, I mean, yeah. obviously if you have a plate with some grease on it and it's, you know, it's cold grease, it's, you know, and you're washing dishes, you're going to get some down the drain anyways, but I'm not sure what the best place to put it is. Well, we'll look into that here momentarily. Uh, some other things that might disturb your compost is, uh, oh, this is interesting. It says diseased or stubborn plants. <laughs> you stupid. <laughs> you never listen. You never do your laundry. You're going to the compost. <laughs> uh, but obviously just diseased plants are going to obviously end up growing in your compost because that's literally like made for, <laughs> that'd be perfect for a diseased plant. It would just thrive in there feces you don't want to throw too much crap inside of your compost that could definitely upset it as well wait really yeah feces and unused personal products because there was uh a an organic farm i went to and they used some of the the droppings from the zoo to kind of start their compost pile well i'm gonna assume that there's probably a limit to that like you can't just like keep loading it in there is what i'm assuming that they're saying Mm -hmm. because i've heard like what you've talked about. I've heard the feces being used, but probably definitely a limited think, factor on that guy. Yeah. No, I think I'm not. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure, but I think kind of what you guys were saying, there's, yeah, you shouldn't add too much to like your personal compost pile, but I know there are obviously just, you can have like feces specific compost piles. Like I think a lot of farms will have them that have, you know, cows and other animals that ultimately poop. And so you gotta, yeah. you can do something with that because it's a bunch of nutrients. Because that's how nutrients were, you know, normally cycled. But yeah, don't put in your like backyard compost. Yeah, that's pile. fair. That's fair. <laughs> not only would your neighbors <laughs> not appreciate it, but yeah, it'll upset your compost pile. And who wants that? Especially yeah, if it's stubborn compost. <laughs> and walnuts that contain, oh god, juglone, a compound I've toxic to some plants. So walnuts, big no no. And that's composting for you. Just a quick little, quick little snippet. If you're looking to get into it uh go for it one thing that my sister had that i actually really thought was pretty cool is she had this like composting bin that she bought on amazon so there's this little like black cylinder tube that was fairly large i would say like probably about the length of maybe a, a long pillow and it had some it had some girth to it it was pretty thick thick cylinder and you could <laughs> throw it in there and it had a little handle that like every now and again you could like stir up that compost change it on up a little bit get a good little mix in there and it was detachable from its like little stand, so it had this hole that you could open up at the top, throw your stuff in there, close it back up, mix it around, and then let it hmm. sit for a while. And once it got full, you could take it off and then do something with it, or you know maybe take it to a site like we were talking about before. Yeah, that's something super cool, fun. and that's yeah. a good way to you know probably like smells a little less than just a pail or some kind of a bucket, you know. To yeah, do. absolutely. So when you dropped it off, or when you're going to drop it off to the do you, do you uh, when you drop it out to the farm? Do you give it a good little wash afterwards, or you just keep on letting it sit? Just the bucket? Yeah. I honestly, I usually just throw a little bit. I mean, literally while I'm there, I just pick up like a handful of like they have like a little parking lot that's like essentially just sand and some yeah. like dirt, and I essentially just put some of that in, let the bucket dry outside for a little bit, and it kind of you know the moisture and all the odors kind of dispel. So. Yeah, it kind of depends. You. I think yeah, definitely if your if your bucket gets pretty gross, like just give it a spray. Just get hose it out or yeah, just let it sit outside for a little bit and it'll definitely become less gross. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. But yeah, it's super easy. I honestly think it's like really it's really interesting too. Like and you can find out a ton about it online. Like people geek out over this. Like especially yeah. soil scientists, you know. Some people at at Who point, study that <laughs> they would they would get really into it and it's it's kinda cool to watch to hear people talk about it and watch people get really into it too. So Let's get a composting expert on here, and we'll do a whole episode on there composting. You go. There it is. We could do it on our Spice It Up little recap once we start our experience with it. I think that'd be kind of fun as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think the cool part is you can just do so many different types of compost. Like there's like vermiculture, which is with worms. So you like just use earthworms to, I mean, not just, but like that's your main thing that's composting. Yeah. And there's like other methods too, which is kind of cool. Do you have worms? Are you gonna are you gonna worm it up here soon? 
I don't. I don't think my apartment complex would appreciate that. <laughs> what are all these I've worms got a worm doing here? Farm in here. <laughs> Did you see like worms crawling out from under our door? Hey, Small that's yeah, that's just... what my roommate had when I was living in Appleton. He had a whole there setup is. of it. It was basically a bunch really? of plastic containers with a bunch of worms, and he'd feed wow. the stuff in there. That's awesome. I mean, not knocking him. I just. You know, that'd be there's a lot of fruit worms. Flies flies carefully. That, though, so be careful. <laughs> oh gosh, I can oh, imagine. Okay, okay. Oh god. Yeah, and definitely if you yeah if you have a composting bucket in your house, so if you don't put it outside or you don't have a yard to put it in, um, either get a top for it or put it you know maybe under the sink or in some enclosed space. Okay. And you know just so it doesn't get you know not only Everywhere. too smelly but it's not exposed to a bunch of flies and a bunch of oxygen. And yeah. obviously take it out regularly. <laughs> You'll appreciate it, but. <laughs> let it sit for a nice let long it sit while. Forever. Let you it could just bask. let it compost in your house too. There it Not is. Recommended, in the closet. but you know, in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. <laughs> you just forget about it. You come back three months oh, later. No. You're like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Why did Worms I everywhere. Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh yeah. Don't Composting. Do that. Fantastic. <laughs> so I know we've talked a whole lot about recycling, a whole lot about individualized recycling, but we sort of mentioned it a little bit here in the past. We were talking about a single stream recycling plant, which is going to be the most common that we find here inside of the United States. And one thing we all had a question about is, now how the hell do they sort all that? Especially, maybe you're not composting, maybe you're not you know, separating all of your recyclables, and maybe you're just kind of chucking all into one bin, like I am currently doing. How the heck do they separate all that? And... <laughs> The process is going to blow your mind because it blowed mine away. <laughs> I was screaming what's going on pretty much the entire time. Uh, so pretty much all of these, you know, recycling trucks are going to come around pick up, you know, obviously uh, your neighborhood's recycling plant or whatever until it gets full. And then they're going to head back to their plant, which is going to be called the Materials Recovery Facility. I guess that's what they're all kind of nicknamed, the MF or the MRF. And they just pretty much dump the entire truck, like, right there on the floor. And I'm pretty sure each little step has a name for it. Let me get to the correct page. Yeah, it's called the tipping floor. So dump trucks just deliver all the, like, mixed recyclables right there on the floor and get a huge old pile going. And, like, the driver, I guess, while he's, like, driving around, tries to find any, like, oversized objects that may have been thrown inside of there. (laughs) They use a car engine for an example, I don't know how many of you guys are thinking you can recycle a car engine in your regular, <laughs> in your regular, uh, and you can just hide disposal. that too. It's metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Either way, it's dumped right there on the floor. Driver does a quick little check, but honestly, it probably has got a lot more cans to go pick up, so he probably leaves relatively rapidly. And then they have a drum feeder, is what it's called, which is this giant mechanical claw that basically like reaches in there grabs a handful of material from the tipping floor and then throws it into this spinning drum, which pretty much just spins all material that lands in it and then kind of like pushes it out into like an evenly distributed layer. That way it's not all just these giant chunks that are like flying on through into the conveyor belt. And the conveyor belt will slowly roll around down the tracks until it gets to the initial sorters which is actually a group of human individuals who are going to extract things that obviously cannot be recycled, like certain plastic bags. Uh, They use the example of coat hangers. I don't know how often that is recycled, but definitely not recyclable, and just other items that might jam up the line. And once it gets passed through the initial sorters, they go into the large star screens. I want you guys, I believe I Googled something specifically, I want you guys to Google a multi-star star screen and then go to Google Images. I want you to take a look at this because whoever developed this is a genius. Pretty much this specific like star shape that all kind of closes in together. So there's like minuscule gaps that are allowed inside the stars and they're all rotating here together to pass these items along the belt. But then certain heavier items like glass, uh, aluminum, and other items are going to just slip right through. And this initial large star screen is there to be able to like lift out curated cardboard. So if you recycle cardboard, mm. it's going to get pulled out 
immediately. And it was originally invented by the Dutch in 1950s, I guess, for wow. sorting tulip bulbs. So they were looking for a specific uh, bulb, I guess. And this is what we use now. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty cool looking. Yeah, that's in depth, my guy. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's where we're at. Large star screens. <laughs> It'll slip on through. And then they'll go through a second round of sorters. So other people who are looking... Uh, you know, at it, they find other like random little junk that somehow got through the first line because there was just so much. And then after like the large pieces of cardboard or large pieces of other recycled material gets plucked on out, they'll just grab little things like that. And then we get to the medium star screens, <laughs> pretty much the exact same process, except for even like smaller and heavier types of uh, plastic, glass, aluminum are going to fall through. And this one specifically is to lift out different grades of paper. So it's pretty much we're going to get out cardboard, then we're going to get out like smaller pieces of paper and pluck it on out. And it kind of does the same thing where all the heavy pieces go through and that light paper just keeps kind of like I watched a little video on it. It just keeps kind of like bouncing on the top like because it keeps trying to get sucked in, but it like won't let it through. And so it'll just keep like smacking around and go down the line, which is pretty fun. And then they have a glass sorter, which since glass is heavier than plastic and aluminum, it'll fall through the star screen and land in these bins below. There's like an even, it just pretty much just like smaller and smaller star screens that like goes along until it like gets to the glass, which will, since it's the heaviest item, will just slip right through. And then plastic and aluminum will get separated into its own little conveyor belt. And this is where things get wild. So we talked about how it's hard for these single stream, single stream like recycling uh, services to be able to recognize aluminum, especially when you squish down the aluminum cans. And that's because there is a 3,900 Gauss magnet that is above the conveyor, and it sends like these electrical impulses that specifically attracts anything that's magnetic like aluminum. And so when it falls, the glass will keep on going down, but it'll specifically attract <laughs> the aluminum and kind of like suck it on up into its own little like uh section and this eddy current separator which is a magnetic field which induces electrons in the aluminum to create this magnetic field of their own will stick to this conveyor belt pretty much by having these electronic pulses just kind of going through the entire belt and that's how it like keeps the aluminum on until it is pushed off into the main conveyor belt for itself which is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> so now everything's kind of situated like, like separated we have one belt for aluminum, one belt for plastics, one belt for glass. Pretty much everything is going to get separated, but then to be able to even get plastic more separated into its specific grades, there's infrared lasers that are sh- like basically just lightning round like shot at these like plastic bits to be able to see what grade it is. And then strategic puffs of air separate the recyclable and non-recyclable kinds of plastics into different bins that are on the sides of the belt. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's a whole lot. And if you guys watched, I honestly, like, maybe after this, want you guys, I'll post here when we make the episode available for everybody, I'll post the video that I watched, but it goes on into this one separation of recyclable, like, pieces it's insane and frankly super impressive that we've created Mm -hmm. some sort of you know system like this it blew my mind honestly i watched like a 15 minute video on it i definitely am gonna watch a video about that (laughs) it's super cool that'd probably Um, be like really mesmerizing too oh yeah it's super calming it's nice and as it goes (laughs) well it's super fun especially when you're watching the paper i mean it's like the first thing that gets plucked from the side but as it goes through, like you just see this giant hunk of garbage, and then seeing it like somehow slowly just dwindle down and down and down until you just get a yeah. conveyor belt of only paper. You're like, how the hell did we do that? That's so cool. That is super impressive. I love that the star machine was made for sorting flowers too. Yeah. And <laughs> now they use it for sorting recyclables. What a there weird transition, but pretty awesome. Got him. They recycled and- that machine for sure. There it is. And that's uh, and that's how we sort recyclables. Pretty I have awesome. a question I wish about that. No, no. I guess it's it's not as interesting as the process. But when you you know when you recycle and you use like a lot of people use like clear big clear bags to put all their recyclables in. Yeah. Do you even need to do that? Like if they can't even recycle the bag? No, you should not do that. <laughs> no, you should not do that. 
Because um, a lot of people I know will do that. Yeah, I think it's because they think it's like, I mean, it's holding everything together. But mm-hmm. what's most likely happening is that when it gets to that first initial sorter, well, number one, even if it's in the dump truck, it's getting squished. So I'm assuming if glass breaks, it'll probably get cut up and then just made into shards anyways, or just like, like you know, torn pieces of crap. But, I mean, I'm sure the initial sorters, if they see something like that, probably just grab it and then just, like, rip it open and dump it on the conveyor belt anyways. That's yeah. going to be my assumption. Yeah. And or maybe that's what the initial driver does when he comes out and he, like, checks the, like, giant heap he just dropped off. Maybe he rips it open. <laughs> well, if they don't get it, too, plastic bags can actually clog up some of these machines that are used for sorting and make them less efficient or stop them from working mm. in general. So mm-hmm. that's... Another reason why you shouldn't so don't, just throw yeah. uh, plastic bags and so don't bag your recyclables. No, just no. put them in the can and or put them in the you know individual cans that you do. And that is less, a good you point. don't have to buy bags then because they sell yeah. recyclable recyclable bags, which is do they really? Old bags for recycling. Hmm. I didn't. Know yeah, that. like that's a lot of at least what I've seen growing up is they're like clear. You know, a lot of trash bags are white or black. Mm-hmm. They're clear and they're recycle recycling bags. I don't know why. Or what special property they have, but it sounds like just plastic companies making more money off of people thinking they need to put all their recyclables in there. Yeah, you don't need to do that, folks. Yeah, yep. slap it in one giant bin. Make sure you clean it off. No contaminants. And what please. have you guys heard about plastic bags in terms of a grocery store bag or you get from a store? The small, dinky, lightweight plastic bags. Yeah, that's I've heard that the, that's that Katy Perry famously sung about. <laughs> That's along the same lines. You shouldn't recycle those. Uh, they should be recycled separately, usually at grocery stores. I know Publix down here in the south does it. Kroger up in the north does it. I'm sure any brand that Kroger owns probably does it. I'd imagine Whole Foods does. But there are usually bins where you can deposit all of your used plastic bags if you're not oh, going to wow. reuse them. I like that. Those are the ones right outside the store, right? Yep. Because I've... Okay. And that's because they have uh, to go through a, a different process. And yeah. going through the sorting process just kind of messes everything up from the sounds of it. Yeah, most Because, yeah, if you, look on, if you look on a lot of plastic bags, and even some, like we were talking about earlier, like some bread bags and different lightweight plastic bags, I think a lot of them have a number four symbol on them, which is, you know, a lot of places will recycle number four plastics or, you know, some places. But... For like you were saying, for those bags, it's obviously different just because of the you know the type of plastic and the lightweightness of it and how it can clog up the machines. I guess so. That's mm-hmm. good to know. And biggest thing, remember, we've said it a million times. If you are going to recycle, literally just look at what your recycle plant that is closest to you actually accepts, because there are some places that do accept them, but I know there's some that don't. And I mm-hmm. mean, the one example I was looking at when I was explaining the sorting thing, they didn't actually except those like small little grocery bags. So those initial sorters, that was like one of the biggest things that they would pull out. And I can't but, really, it's crazy. I can't really imagine using those anymore though. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, just I, I just, br- you just bring your bag, bring your bags to the groceries. Even if you go to like a store to buy a couple of things, like a shirt or something, you just bring your own bag or just carry it. Just hold it in your hand until you get to the car. Yeah. It's so easy. <laughs> or a fun little life hack, bring a laundry basket Throw it inside your trunk, walk that cart with all your food out there, slap inside the laundry basket, one quick easy trip inside the house, and that laundry basket needs to go back in anyways. So, boom. That's one thing we've been doing. That's awesome. I like that a lot. Uh, One thing that I actually like about Colorado a lot is that most grocery stores will actually, there's there's a plastic bag tax. So, you'll get charged, I think, I mean, it's only like 10 cents or something like that for a plastic bag, but the fact that they still like charge you for it. Is enough incentive to get some people just to get the reusable bags, <laughs> which I like. So, but you know, yeah, they don't them. do that in Utah. Colorado definitely does better on that. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good tip. Reduce your imp- your your footprint. Is there anything else that we need to cover on recycling, y'all, or do we have recycling in the bag, the reusable bag? We have recycling out of the bag, JJ. Oh my God! <laughs> Say that <it laughs> so. It's separated <laughs> and ready to be recycled Dory. in a more. <laughs> You're going to have a nightmare about, you know, accidentally throwing like a aluminum <laughs> can into a plastic. <laughs> I didn't clean that yet. No, there's food <laughs> residue. It's contaminated. <laughs> you know, when, take it you out. Know, I don't know why this made me think about it, but you know, when, oh, what is it? 
Toy Story 1 or 2 when Woody's like falling into Oh my god, he's the... going inside of the... What if you're like falling into like a trash can with recyclables and you're like, no! Of dirty recyclables, dude. Just filthy recyclables. So many contaminants. Oh my god. Yeah, well, that's what I'm definitely going to dream about tonight, so... Well, if I'm there's sorry. nothing... The, yeah, it's okay. The last okay. thing I had was some areas that had the best recycling just to see if we oh. could learn something from them. Uh, yeah. yeah, a number of those places are in Europe. Four of the top five are, and that is due to a lot of the legislation that they have, where uh, manufacturers are required to be part of basically a recycling system, uh, where they pay a sort of, I guess, tax or fee for the type of packaging that they use. Uh, which goes towards collecting and recycling their packaging. And so based on how much packaging they're using and the type of it will determine what they have to pay for it. And so it helps companies have an incentive to actually design their packaging in a way that can be reused and wouldn't use too much packaging because the more weight of the packaging there is, the more fees or fine or taxes they'd have to actually pay to be a part of this program. So I think that's definitely a, a very awesome. interesting way that hopefully someone in the U.S. could try and get uh, moving forward in our legislation, uh, hopefully get a system where companies are actually thinking more about the packaging they're using. Hmm. Yeah, that's good Absolutely. to know some places are doing that for sure. Yeah, and I think... I think one one thing I was going to say is just if it's like obviously super confusing, recycling stuff, different types of products that are better to use. But the really cool thing is like you can just search all this. <laughs> like the Internet is so useful if you have a question about <laughs> like you, you guys were talking about like, hey, if you don't know if this thing's recyclable in your area, you can just look it up. If you want to know, you know, what's a better type of shampoo to use then, you know, or a better type of product to use that uses less plastic, you know, you can just look it up. So it's pretty, it's pretty amazing what you can find just with like a Google search and also just with like talking to people, you know, and figuring out what they do. They might have some good tips too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I know we, I totally forgot about it, but we did have a segment that was written down that was just talking about like best uses of an examples of recycling, which is what Patrick was talking about. And I did find one thing that was pretty interesting and i've heard about it before is actually called eco bricks which it doesn't like reduce waste per se but it is an interesting and clever way i guess to use what plastic waste you actually acquire so you pretty much like you you get like a plastic bottle and then with inside of that plastic bottle, like plastic bags you use at a grocery store or other little like, I don't know, if you eat a granola bar, that wrapper, you pretty much just keep stuffing it inside of that plastic bottle until the point where like you can't fit anything else inside of there and you cap it. And there's been a lot of individuals that have actually done this method to the point where they've had a bunch of like bottles and then they've used this to actually create structures like a bed frame or a table or something like that that they've or or some sort of outdoor design where they've made like a fire pit that they've put i don't know like some sort of like concrete or something like over but then they're able to like use like less resources for it so i know it doesn't really like reduce or anything but it's some way to keep plastics from i don't know just getting thrown away i guess which i thought was kind of something clever something different i'm sure there's more you can do with it but yeah that's awesome i mean it totally yeah like you said it doesn't reduce but a lot of those things you can't recycle anyways like a granola bar wrapper you'd have to throw that away so you're like making something out of it which is really cool yeah i've literally like there's people there's like a whole like village i think in kenya that has been doing this and they've actually built houses out of this because you put a certain amount of eco bricks together to build like a hexagon or something of that shape and then you kind of i don't know how you'll keep it together maybe like a limited amount of concrete but then it's like this super strong texture (laughs) you pretty much just keep stacking in this giant circle in a sense and then you can put other like concrete or something on it to hold it and mold it and then you literally have a house this is wild. i'm looking at a Mm -hmm. house that's been built literally just (laughs) off of plastic bottles which is pretty wild not saying you're going to build a plastic bottle home but who knows if 
you can do that and then your furniture can all be giant mushrooms there it is that feed off of the plastic <laughs> you don't put into your home you're gonna become like this like forest <laughs> warlock pretty much <laughs> all from recycling and weirdly still a hoarder <laughs> it's an eco warlock hoarder it's there a it is. character in D D. that's your final evolution honestly <laughs> <laughs> you want to transcend as a person and as a species do that yeah we're giving Plastic you the house. Path. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Any final words, boys? It was great having no, you on, Nathan. Keep recycling. Yeah. It was yeah, great Nate, having you guys on the show. You should yeah, come back thank again. Thank you. Thank you. We we'll definitely try. <laughs> No, seriously, thank uh, you for having me. It was a lot of fun and Yeah. Love talking and recycling with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you, Nate, and hopefully we'll get you on here again soon. Sounds good. Take it easy, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you guys learned at least one fact. Maybe got one chuckle in there. And once again, if you guys have questions on your own, you know what to do. Are we done yet? Oh, <laughs> we are. All right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to What's Going On. If you have any questions that you want partially answered, please write them in to what's going on the pod at gmail.com. No spaces, no apostrophes, no excuses. One more time. That's what's going on the pod at gmail.com, and we hope to hear from you soon. Rate and subscribe on any player of choice. Thank you.